There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, three, two, one. I felt intimidated in the workplace. I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I'm not out there to upset anybody. We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans' lives. As far as counts are concerned, well, you are property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But I can't get into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. I'd like to know what you think if you're a Krispy Kreme fan. I would like to know what you think of the prospect that they may have to shut. That's that's the mood, the the view I took from yesterday's reporting. Anyway, they may have to shut Krispy Kreme. They only opened was it last year or the year last year sometime in the old Porter's shop. Um, but they may have to shut now. But deal with that in a second but good morning first of all weather seems to be on on the up it's improving anyway as Helen already says you never know when there's another storm around the corner but so far it looks like we're over the worst and heading into the weekend we might even have something nice to report weather wise storm Jocelyn is doing wreck over northern England and uh, Scotland this morning absolute wreck we got to wear very lightly down here. And her auntie Kathleen doesn't seem to be coming after her anytime soon, which is which is relief. 0818-969696, the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. If you're a regular listener to the opinion, and you'll know that the move towards a cashless society is something we've discussed regularly. John Lowe, the money doctor, a great friend of our show, predicted to me last year that by 2031, we would be living almost entirely cashlessly in Ireland. I remember that prediction and I remember being shocked by it. I remember being particularly shocked because of the fact that John Lowe has never given me a bum steer in all the years I'm talking to him. But in the last few weeks and months, there's something of a change. You remember it all started really, I think anyway, the way I perceive it, it all started with the NCT when they tried to go cashless and they were told by the respective minister, no, sorry lads, not going to happen. Now we have the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, coming out and saying that certain transactions will be protected 
the right to pay with cash at some businesses will be mandated this year. Businesses like groceries, pharmacies, certain public services, you will have to be allowed to pay with cash. They're also going to regulate for the amount of ATMs around the country. They've been disappearing right, left and centre. There are many villages and towns now that just don't have an ATM because the local bank branch closed. There's no private ATM. If there is a private ATM, it's in the centre, which closes at, we'll say, 7 o'clock. So there's nowhere to go for a few bob at 11 o'clock at night if you need it. They're going to regulate that. Um, there's also other things. So the the move, the, and Michael McGrath has been on national radio this morning saying that Ireland will not become a cashless society anytime soon, at least not on on his watch. Now, I know that a lot of people don't carry any cash. This morning, if I open my wallet, all that's in there is dust. Uh, I'm not carrying any cash this morning. Um, the weekend, I will. I'll put some cash in my wallet the weekend. I like to have cash. There's a certain empowerment for me that comes with cash. Certainly, if I'm going out to eat anytime soon, I will bring cash so that I can tip with it. I've absolutely no intention of ever putting a tip on a card again after what I heard last week. But down in Kerry, uh, Michael Healy Ray uh, is saying that the plans don't go far enough. Now, Michael, one of your many jobs, one of the many hats you wear, is that of a shopkeeper. Um, Do you think the minister is not doing enough here to protect cash in our society? Good morning. Well, good morning, PJ, to you and to your listeners. And uh, I'd like to start off by saying in March of 2023, I and my colleagues in the Rural Independent Group, uh, which is only actually six of us, we brought a motion before the Dáil about protecting and enshrining cash as being a legal tender because we could see what was happening. And I'll give you other examples Dean DLS, for example, don't take cash. Driver's licenses, yeah. yeah. The, the GAA tried not to take cash. We had the National Ploughing Championship. And remember now, I'm a lifelong supporter of the GAA. I, I've, I've attended every ploughing match uh, with the last 30 years. And uh, I was outraged to think that they were saying that they wouldn't take any cash. So, you see, people have tried to steer us towards a cashless society. And I I understand very, very well that an awful lot of young people, they don't bother with cash. They, they have it on their phone. They tap their phone for everything. But, like, that's fine and that's great. But that's not for everybody. Mm. And you, it's like everything in life, moderation and ensuring that you're not going one way or the other. In other words, I don't agree that businesses or that anybody should say, well, we're only taking cards. Equally, I don't think anybody should say, oh, we're only taking cash. You should cater for everybody. And if you're an agency of the state, if you're the GE, if you're a shopkeeper, if you're a hairdresser, whatever you are, mm. you should be able to cater for all your customers and all the people that engage a transaction through you, that that transaction could be cash, or it could be a credit card. 
and it is very well. Does does the famous pub in Kilgarvan? I know Danny runs that now. Does that take cash and card, or just cash? You know, some bars they find it more difficult if there's not a lot of business. I know, for example, in the shop, eh, you couldn't manage for five minutes. We we get an awful hammering if the electricity goes out because you can't manage for five minutes in a shop because. An awful lot of people do their business through credit card. But equally, an awful lot of people do their business through cash. Mm. So when the power goes out, uh, you literally have to close the door of a shop, right? Now, pubs, by its very nature, sometimes can be different, that people use more cash. Although I do see young people, again, when they're buying drink, a pile of them, if they're out socializing, it's tapping the phone, which I have to be honest, I think is dangerous because... They're not even checking how much they're paying. There is that discussion, but there is a whole divide, isn't there, Michael, in society now? I'm a great believer in choice. I don't like to see a sign on the door, card only, at any business. Equally, cash only, I'm a little uncomfortable with that as well, but I'm a lot more uncomfortable with card only. Do you think, in Italy, I know that the Prime Minister over there um, wants it to be... Lee, what wants it to be a situation where I think it is actually up to a certain transaction of about 50 or 60 euro, the business must accept cash. Should the minister go down that road here? But I, I, I've already said I agree with that completely. I, I, I believe you have to have a balance. That mm. If you're in business, you should be accepting both. You should allow for the person who really wants to do everything with a card and you should allow for everybody who wants to deal with cash. But there seems to have been, and when you look at those two great organizations that tried to go down this road, the GE and the National Plowing Championships, that was a sure sign that people thought that, oh, this is the way to go now and it'll save, it'll save bothering with cash and all of this. Well, I don't agree with that because cash is a legal tinder. Mm. There is nothing wrong whatsoever with a person sticking their hand in their pocket, taking out money, whether it's fibers, tinners, 20s or 50s, and paying in cash because it, that's their right. Mm-hmm. Cash is a legal tinder. No, the, the, the use is on the decline. I mean, the use of cash is on the decline. It went down drastically it, during the pandemic. It did. It went from, it was a 20 billion to 13 billion or something like that. There's an awful difference. But, but, but there's still an awful lot of money being transacted in cash. But the government are sort of catching on to this a little bit late in the day now. But I mean, when we raised this last March, we raised this. And it makes big headlines now because Michael McGrath is coming out and saying it. But we said all of this last March. We told the government this last March. And we made it quite clear we had a debate in the Dáil. It's a matter of public record. And the reason we did that was we wanted to wake them up. I'd like to think that in many instances, and it's not just the rural independent TDs, it could be anybody in opposition, it could be Sinn Féin, it could be anybody else. They raise something. The government listens to it. They let on, they ignore it. But then they come along a few months later and they t- adopt it as their own and say, aren't we great, we're going doing this. Michael, isn't well, the, that the way politics works and has worked it is, since your late father is, was in the Dáil, to be fair, and before is, him? It is, but PJ, I agree with you. But if you think I'm complaining about that, not at all. Sure, I'm delighted. <laughs> and if what we did, if what we did last March 
in some way is influencing the fact that the government woke up to this issue. Sure, I'm delighted. Good. And let them claim the credit for it. What you about know, ATMs, Michael? Part. Where's the closest ATM to Kilgarvan, to your shop? Do you have one in the shop? No, I don't, to be honest. But there is one in Kinmare, which is seven miles away. Now, I would say to you about that, as you know, an awful lot of banks have closed, very sadly. And we had travelling banks. People mightn't, young people mightn't even remember what a travelling bank I was. I don't remember what a travelling bank was, so... Yeah. God almighty, you're not that young, in fairness. I'm not that but, old uh, either, Michael. I don't remember the <laughs> travelling bank. I, maybe it's because I grew well, up in a city, but there you go. Well, for example, in places like Sneem, uh, you had a travelling bank that, well, I don't know, was it once or twice a week? There was uh, a banking facility... And uh, you actually had a travelling bank, and it was great. People could go in and do their business. But that has all been done away with. But And this other thing then about ATMs, uh, ATMs should give out fivers, tenors, twenties, and fifties, and not just denominations of fifties. And they should be placed in such a way that wherever you would be, that you wouldn't be too far away from a banking Would machine. Would you have one in the shop yourself? Well, would you believe it? We looked into it, and because of the fact that my shop is a small shop, uh, you're charged. You see, people think that, you know, the money flies into it automatically. You're charged with the responsibility of keeping it full of cash, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to have a certain turnover in your business to be able to service that ATM. An ATM is no good. No, well, no. Your shop... I've been in it. Saved my life once or twice when I was down that neck of the woods. Your shop gives me everything from a cup of coffee to something for my car. From coffee to a spark plug, like, in fairness. But it's still a small shop, and uh, as it stands right now, anyway, the sums didn't seem to work out. I'd love to have an ATM, but uh, like I said, there's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of different issues with having an ATM that doesn't suit the model of a small shop. I see. You have to have a, you have to have a business that would have a lot of turnover and all of that. And would you give me cash back over the counter? If I paid for something with my card, would you give me cash back over the counter? Oh, God, yes. Sure, we'll have to do that because otherwise people wouldn't manage. Yeah. That's all part of the service. But uh, what I would like to see, though, in the future, I'd like to see cash remain, there's older people and there's younger people as well who haven't gone all mad on credit cards and they want to have cash and I think uh, that this is a step in the right direction by government. I'd want them though to look at the likes of the NDLS I'd like for the GA to give up this nonsense of saying credit cards only and uh, the National Plowing Championship big organisations that we admire I'm not knocking those at all because we're very there are many events not not just the ploughing championship Michael but music festivals and other such events concerts like should do you think that the government should be able to say to the ploughing championship or say to organisers of music events actually no you you shall accept cash do you know who'd be more important in saying it than the government is the people and if you look at what happened with the ploughing championship last year, they came out and said it was going to be credit cards only. But they had to do a fairly quick U-turn because on every radio station, 
in every newspaper, in every shop, in every pub, in every place where people were gathering, they were saying, isn't this a shame? And to be honest, they were forced into doing a U-turn. Well, one of the reasons for that, I think, Michael, was, and having attended it, I wouldn't have attended it half as often as you would have, but I would have attended it any time it came within NASA's Roar of Cork. And what I saw was wads of cash changing hands for everything from a spanner to a deposit on a new tractor. Farmers and the agricultural sector, they like cash. Well, they do, but when you're talking about buying machinery in the world we're living in today now, when people are buying machinery in a novel lot of cases, it's leases and um, agreements like that, purchasing agreements. But what I'm talking about is literally the person going up to the gate and paying going in. I think they should always be able to pay for uh, their, uh, their entry fee with cash. And again, the likes of concerts and all of that, I think everything, whatever event, whatever festival you're going to find, pay with your credit card, but also be allowed to pay with cash. And um, in case anybody thinks that I'm ungrateful to the government, I'm glad that they woke up and realised this was an issue. I'm glad that the common sense is prevailing and that they're saying what they're saying now. And I welcome that very, very much. But... um, and like until something changes in the future, you were talking there about twenty thirty or twenty thirty five or something like that. Well, the prediction from John Lowe, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of John, the, the, the money doctor, publishes a great book yes. every year. It's out again this year. He predicted on this show late last year that by twenty thirty one, we'll be almost entirely cashless. This this change would seem to go against that. Well, it would because 2031 is not a long way away. But uh, I would like to think that we will always have cash. Um, I'm lucky enough now to have uh, grandchildren. And I think that all parents or grandparents, they'd like to be able to give a few pounds to children and things like that. And um, there's something personal about cash. You said it yourself. There's something secure in having a few pounds for an event because um, what I mean by an event is something going wrong if it was only that you you caught a tyre and you needed to buy a tyre and the man that was selling the tyre wouldn't take anything maybe only cash it's nice to have a bit of cash in your car that you're independent going on the road or going travelling I really think it's important to have a bit of cash it's like a bit of security for yourself someone is pushing back lastly Michael someone is pushing back I asked you a while ago I know that it's Danny runs uh, your dad's old pub now down there in in Kilgarvin haven't been there in a while used to serve the best pint of stout in Kerry and I'm not just saying that because of who's on the phone but someone says um, typical politician didn't answer PJ's question about the pub. Have I a choice in Healy Rays between cash and card? Well, I'll put it to this way. Because of the fact that I don't be serving behind the counter. I do serve behind the counter in my shop. And I know that's cash and card. I know that, well, I don't drink now. But when I'm buying drink for other people and things inside in our own bar, I always pay cash. I don't use a card like that. Right. So that's the only... That can answer the question. They don't take cash. I'm assuming they do. All right. Listen, always good speaking to you. Michael Healy Ray, um, Deputy for Kerry. We, t- <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Michael. Uh, 0818 uh, This, of course, is an idea that he and his independent friends in the rural areas of Ireland gave the government last March. And now they're implementing it as if it was their own. He wants it to go 
to go further. In initially, uh, as I said, initially you have the, the absolute right to pay with cash up to about 60 euro, I think that's the, what I can discern there. Michael McGrath has said that certain goods and services will come with a right to pay cash. Essential goods and services, places like grocery shops, pharmacies, certain public services like the NCT, for example, will have to take cash and that will be legislated for. And with regard to ATMs, they're going to legislate on reasonable access to cash. There'll have to be ATMs in certain places. And it's going to try, they're trying to halt the decline in the number of ATMs uh, ATM usage is down by nearly 45%. Uh, but the minister and the government want to keep ATMs out there, keep them, keep access to cash. 0818 96 96 96. I think in the end, they, he did answer the question. Uh, the famous Healy Ray pub in Kilgarvan uh, is, is, takes either cash or card. While I personally think it's very unfair that they're not it's it's they're not age appropriate. Some don't even have cards. Not to mind to say all the other digital tools. They withdraw and they spend. Already, I know many people in the humiliating position of having to depend on family members to pay bills and do their business. I think everything essential to everyday life should have an age appropriate alternative. Well, I'd go one further than that. I don't think cash, the right or the choice of cash, has anything to do with age. I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not even 29 anymore. You might not have gathered that, but I'm, I'm not. But I like the right to pay cash. Similarly, I could go for days without looking for cash. I want the choice. 0818 96 96 96. Do I think the government should regulate for me to have that choice? Yes. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie On Cork's 96FM. I'm told that the ploughing championship when they eventually did take cash on the gate that it was actually dearer to get in uh, Richard tells me that um, it, was it dearer to get into the, and that's wrong too by the way Kate says in every major country in mainland Europe cash is king particularly in Europe and you notice they treat it more respectfully they count out the change properly then they don't see cash as a nuisance now Stephen Yes, I, I'm, I'm aware of this situation with air, airports and planes, Stephen. It annoys the hell out of me. Good morning. Hello, Peter. How are things? Good. You were in, you were in Italy? I was, I was. I was, I was on your show before, but uh, with the short transfer years ago. Ah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, we're back to Italy. We got married in Italy in um, February uh, 1979. Yeah. So we went back to Italy for our 44th wedding anniversary last February. Nice. And my chef and wife were of an age that we don't we, we don't we don't usually use cards at all, you know. Mm. And uh, so we we had cash with us, so we cut around Italy for a week. And when we come back, we had to leave the, the hotel before seven o'clock 
to get to the airport in the morning. And we got there, we kind of panicked a bit. It's so big, the airport. So all we wanted to do was get to the gate and get out. So we we had nothing to eat in the hotel, nothing to eat since the night before. We got as far as the airport. We got through everything after a couple of hours. Uh, we tried to get something in the shop. Most of the shops were only carried only. So when we got to the, we just wanted to get to the plane. So we got to the Ryanair plane, got through onto, onto the plane, we sat down. And once the plane took off, the students came around with their uh, refreshments. Yeah. So we had, I had about 350 euros in cash in my pocket. We don't have cards. We have cards, but we didn't have much. Um, so my wife had about 300. So we were sitting down there. We, we decided that we'd get a couple of sandwiches and a bottle of water and maybe coffee and stuff. Huh? <laughs> so when the stewards came down, I had the money out and they said, we can't take any money. Yeah. Only card, only. So they came around with several different things. And I said, could you give us a bottle of water? And they said, we can't really give a bottle of water. Because for the simple reason, the stewards are responsible for everything. So uh, they didn't want to say that right now didn't trust them, but they, they, they'd have to answer for everything. Yeah. So, uh, so you got nothing, you, you, you weren't able to get any food on the plane. You had plenty of money, the but they wouldn't take it out. We had, we, had, we, had, we, had, we had about 650 euros between us, and we couldn't even get a bottle of water. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And we had not engaged since the night before, and we landed in Cork around, I think, around 1 o'clock, half 1 in the afternoon. And my son-in-law was picking me up at around three o'clock. He, he does a school run. Yeah. He was picking us up around three o'clock. So we had a, a couple of hours in the airport. So when we got through the airport, we were starving, happy to be home. And we came down the stairs. And as you go in the door of the airport on your right-hand side, there's a, ca- uh, a cafe. There is, yeah. There, there is, yeah. Yeah. So there was two middle-aged women there. So we went over and there was about 100 seats there. There was nobody sitting there. So I filled up the tray with sandwiches and coleslaws and uh, tarts and everything and uh, went up in on a 50-year-old note and the, the woman said, we can't take any cash in Cork Airport. We can't, we're not allowed to take cash. I wasn't so, aware that was the situation. I wasn't that aware. Was that was the situation. That, that was, unless it's changed, that was the situation last February. Right. And that was the situation when we came back. And she apologised. And we were still staffing and we still had to go on to God help you. Stuff. So we ended up going out to the news agent shop there and getting a meal deal, you know, the bag of crisps. And sitting there waiting not three o'clock to get home for some days. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. You couldn't. So said ring in there, no, you're right, Stephen. Phone. Thank you for thank you for that because that, that, that's not on. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, 0818969696. No food. Since they left the air, they left the hotel in Italy, got on the plane, got off, no cash taken on the plane, got off the plane into the airport. And you know the one, you know, you come out arrivals in Cork Airport. There's a, and it is a lovely cafe there on the left as you come out. Good coffee. You get a pint if you want it. Good grub. They weren't taking cash. I didn't know they were going cashless there. Eventually, they had to go over to the news agent and get sandwiches and a bottle of water and crisps. But that's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Happened to me in the airport, actually, in uh, Arecife last summer when I was coming home from Lanzarote. I knew instinctively one of the bags was a small bit heavy, but we were under a small bit of time pressure that morning. And rather than just move around stuff from one bag to another, I said I would take a chance. Put it up on the scales and, I don't know, was it 20 quid or something for overweight bag they wanted? 
<laughs> and I reached into my wallet and took out 20 quid. She said, no, uh, cash only, or card only. So everything in the airport seems to be gone card only. But the Stevens, and whatever airline is involved, that's not right. Stephen and his wife were sitting there on a plane with hundreds of euro between them in cash, and they couldn't buy a sandwich and a cup of coffee. That's just wrong. That, to me, is just wrong. Uh, there's a truck has gotten stuck under the bridge just after the train station on North My Road. Long tailbacks there, outbound. 0818969696. Now, one business that... I remember when they opened first, they got a bit of grief over being card only. But that's the way they do their business, and that's a matter for themselves. I, I don't like it, by the way. I wish they... I wish that they would take cash. I wish businesses like it would all take cash. But Krispy Kreme, or Krispy Kreme rather, we checked that this morning. It's actually Krispy Kreme, not Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme on Patrick Street, maybe no more soon. Uh, they took over the old Porter's news agents last year and opened up to much fanfare. There was queues and giveaways and all of that. Um, now they may have to close. They lodged a planning application with Cork City Council later last year looking for permission and for retention permission to change the use of the premises. It was a news agent. Now they wanted to change it to a cafe. You'd wonder how they ever got to open the place without having done it, but that is what it is. Now the City Council have refused that planning permission. It says it's contrary to the city development plan. And that means that Krispy Kreme might end up having to close. Paul Walsh of the three little piggies down on Union Quay. This happened before with Starbucks, Paul. I'd have little sympathy for a business that just opened, though, without permission in the first place. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, PJ. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one. Starbucks did the same. They opened without uh, the proper planning permission and they were forced to close in the end after exhausting all avenues. And it looks like Chris Krispy Kreme did the same ten. Mm-hmm. Now, I I think city I I think city hall had great initiatives in the city. They do great work, but their planning laws on Patrick Street are archaic. They're old fashioned. They're out of date. Yeah. If you go to any major European city, their high street will be a mixture of retail, cafes, restaurants, bars, and the city centres in these cities are full of life. Yes. We're, we're struggling to get business into the city centre. Uh, people don't want to come near it because, well, one, parking and everything like that, but there's nothing here from. Retail in the city centre is dying. And the sooner City Hall realise that and go, okay, guys, look, we're, we're going to have to start giving planning permission for cafes, bars, restaurants. Could you imagine Patrick Street walking down there in the afternoons, outside seating, outside canopies, of course, outside heating? The city would be a different place. It would be vibrant. You'd have women strolling up and down the street, doing their bit of shopping, stopping off for a coffee and a sandwich, going on, doing another bit of shopping, and then finally sitting sitting down outside somewhere having a nice glass of wine or sure. a glass of beer. But, Paul, I can't, because I had to do this. I, we were doing some work in the house back in 2020, stroke 21, and I had to go to County Hall and get permission, and I had to. I couldn't start work 
Now, it was always going, I was always going to get it. But I couldn't start work. My builder couldn't lift a shovel in anger. Yeah. Until yeah. I got that piece that of paper. True. We cannot have businesses opening with impunity, can we? Otherwise, our law no, stands for nothing. No, no, we can't. We can't. But they, they can't do that. They should, should have waited and it would have been refused in the end anyway. And that would have been that. You think the uh, commission would have been refused anyway, would it? Oh, what are they doing? Yeah, because they won't, they won't allow any... In, in Cork City at the moment, if you went for a restaurant, cafe, bar on Patrick Street, you're refused. Like if you, if you took it's over not, a shop, there's an empty shop now, and tried to move three little piggies in there, would you get in there? No, no, no. The planning again on Patrick Street would be refused. They only want retail... And the likes of banks and stuff like that on Park Street. But then again, you look at it and the likes of Burger King and Abracababra are all opened on Park Street and they can operate far away. You go to any other city in Ireland, actually, you go to Limerick, there's bars, restaurants, retail, all mixed under Main Street. Dublin, O'Connell Street, again, there's bars there, there's cafes, there's mixture of retail. And it's the same in Galway and other cities in Ireland. So it's not just, uh, as I said, in, in mainland Europe. But it seems to be Cork yeah. City, Main Street. No, you can't do it. One assumes not that when Krispy Kreme were, were opening up there in the old porters, that they had a solicitor. And one assumes that the solicitor told them, lads, you know, you're, you don't have permission here. Yeah, <laughs> and any good solicitor, any good local solicitor would have told them, guys, this happened before and uh, Starbucks were forced to close and more than likely you, you will be refused and forced to close as well. So who's in the wrong here? Clearly they are for opening without permission, but you believe that they, the, they, you believe the planning law needs yeah. to be changed anyway, Paul? Oh, the planning, law, the planning laws need to be changed in, on Park Street big time. Park Street is, is a beautiful street, yes. But as I said to you earlier on, you imagine all the outdoor seating and canopies and heaters and everything. All of a sudden, it's a different city. It's a warm city. It's a city centre that people would want to come yeah. into. Yeah, yeah. And do a bit of shopping and, and stroll around Patrick Street, stop off for coffees, glasses of wine, everything like that. Like any other modern city, modern European city in particular, they need, they need to look at it because the retail is, is dying in the city centre, particularly Patrick Street. And... I, I think they need to change big time. Fair point. All right. By the way, uh, there's... Uh, just, ta- just, yeah, ju- go, go ahead. Go on. Just before we go on, the topic there you were talking about, cash and card, PJ. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, was yeah. Albuquerque, I was in Albuquerque last April. Uh, my first time down there. Beautiful part of the world down in Portugal. Mm-hmm. 75% of the businesses I went into, and these were big businesses, as you sat down, came over and told you, we take cash only. Cash only, right. Okay. Cash only. Which I said, fine, no problem. I had cash on me and I was delighted. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was hard before. Number. Big, big, yeah. And uh, uh, there were some big, big operations I went into, big bars, sports bars and that. And you sat down and said, we only take cash. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think the choice is essential? I think the choice is essential, but I don't think people should be refused uh, to tender cash anywhere. It's, it's legal tender. Yeah. And I know it has never been, never been challenged in the courts in Ireland with anybody going and saying, well, I was refused uh, to tender cash in a particular premises. I'd love to see it challenged. It's an interesting one, Paul, isn't it? 
It is an interesting one to leave it there. Thank you. By the way, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you something. There's a. I'll be talking later on either this morning or tomorrow. There's a petition has been started among certain restaurateurs and cafe holders to reverse the VAT increase. Would you be signing your name to that? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. As I said to you in a previous call a few weeks back, the government have, have hit the industry with too many increases, the VAT, minimum wage, the PRSI contributions, and then now we're going to have in October the voluntary redundancy, not redundancy, the pension plan. Yeah. 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 Um, it's too much in a short period of time for, for any business to absorb and they need to reverse it. And if they need to bring it back in, stage it over three years. Okay. All right. Leave it there. Paul Walsh at Three Little Piggies. Uh, Krispy Kreme, the chances are there is precedent here. There was a Starbucks had to close down because they opened without permission. And Krispy Kreme has been told now by Cork City Council, lads, you shouldn't have opened. You should not have opened without permission. And by the way, you're not getting that permission now either. So, future of Krispy Kreme uh, in, in doubt. That was a shop that, by the way, only took CAD. Uh, it kind of ties into our other conversation. PJ, just a bit of useless information for people. For those who don't have a card, why not get a Swirl prepaid credit card? You just top it up by whatever amount so that if you do get into a sticky situation, at least you have the option. It's also great for online shopping. And if it's hacked, only what's on the card is stolen, which is fair. What I've been thinking about is the elderly who'd have no bank card, only cash. What will they do? I've no bank card. I use cash. Banks are charging you now to spend your own money. Uh, Kevin says, why is it wrong? Cash is more expensive to handle. If you want to use it, pay extra for it. No, it's legal tender. If a ticket for a concert or a ticket for a match is 20, if a ticket for a match is 25 euro, you cannot make it 26 just for the pleasure of paying cash. No, never going to have that. Has Michael Healy Ray a post office? You can now withdraw and lodge cash with AIB and Bank of Ireland at any post office, says Niall. Uh, there's a small cafe there at the airport too. They take cash and card. And Richie says, I didn't think you could refuse legal tender. Well, as Paul says, somebody will challenge it. This happened to my mom as well. This is about flying home from Italy. Stephen and the wife were flying home. This happened to my mom as well, coming to visit me in Ireland. Couldn't get anything on the plane as the card she had wouldn't work and they didn't want to take the cash. She begged another passenger to pay with their card and then she gave them cash. It was a nightmare, says Alex. You see, uh, this thing about refusing cash on planes, that's not fair. Hi there, Troy Tuberty here. Be part of my new adventure this Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. I'll have something for everyone with a mixture of conversation, laughter and great music. Talk to you this Sunday from 10am. The Ryan Tuberty Show on a Sunday in association with High and I. For every kind of driver, there's a High and I. Find yours at highandi.ie. Cork's 96FM. We are with our friends at the Furniture Centre of Watercourse Road Blackpool all this week. A 2,000 euro shopping spree. We'll draw the winner on Friday. We have a daily qualifier every day. €2,000 you can choose from sofas, bedroom stuff, kitchen, dining, mattresses, free delivery, free assembly and free removal of your old stuff. €2,000 voucher. We'll draw the winner on Friday. We have a... So you're sitting on your battered little sofa watching your telly and you're 
listen to a sound. What is that sound? What's that sound? That sound drives you mad if you're trying to watch a film, by the way. What is it? Uh, identify that sound and give me the answer at 083 396 96 and attach your name. We will draw a qualifier. Just before quitting time, uh, around 5 to 12. Speaking of television and watching things, I started watching this thing the other night. It's it's big. It's one of the big ones on Netflix at the moment. Boy Swallows Universe. It's an Australian thing. And the whole place was raving about it. So I watched episode one. It's, I think it's seven or eight episodes. Watched episode one and I thought, yeah... Yeah, it's all right. And I watched episode two, and about half an hour into episode two, I said, right, come here now, this isn't going anywhere. I need something to happen. Oh, end of episode two. <laughs> Boy Swallows Universe. It, it takes an episode, or an episode and a half. But boy, then it takes off. Episode 3 shall be enjoyed tonight, 0818-969696. I was talking earlier to Michael Healy Ray. We'll podcast that afterwards. I was asking him about this about cash in, cash in society and keeping cash going in society. And I was asking him about the, the Healy Ray pub in Kilgarvan, which his brother Danny runs that now. I was asking him whether they take cash and card or cash or card or cash only or card only in the bar. And I, I didn't really get an answer out of him. Not really. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm talking to a politician. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, Kira from West Cork says, PJ, I was in Healy Ray's bar the night of Kilgarvan's show last year and they didn't take card was cash only. Maybe it's changed since but thanks Kira, for that. Then Alex says for the past three or four years I don't carry cash with me, not even the card. I pay with my phone. I just saw something recently that changed my thinking. When I pay 50 euro cash to someone, that person can use the full 50 for something else. The next person getting the cash will also have the full 50 and so on and so on and so on. But if I get 50 uh, with a card, the bank takes a small portion of that in fees. The next time it takes more, it takes more, it takes more, and eventually it all gets used up in bank fees. And that's just something that I thought of recently, says Alex. Thank you for that. Breda, my family brought me to the bar and restaurant on Women's Little Christmas, and everyone was being turned away because their machines were down. This is the barn. We spoke to the barn last year. They went cash only. And look, the gaffer up there, I think his name is Paul. He made a very good case for why they'd gone cash only. I disagreed with him, by the way, but he made a good case for why they were gone cash only. Their machines were down, says Breda. Even though people were saying they'd pay cash, they're just not set up for it. So to the people saying that cash adds costs, going cashless can be very costly too, if you have a few incidents like that. That's, that's true. I was at an event last year. And I went to buy a pint, and, and the bar was cashless. Didn't like it, but hey, I went to, to buy a pint, and the, the bar was cashless, and the machine was down. So I had I have cash. No, they had no facility 
to take cash. I even, I said, have the change. No, they had no facility to take cash. There's your problem. When you go cashless, if you're not set up to take cash in case of a technical fault, what do you do then? Turn people away? 0818 96 96 96 Listen 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 to your favourite shows on the go Download the Corks 96 FM app Hello Join the conversation Call 0818 96 96 96 Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Corks 96 FM we don't do very many uh, birthday requests on this programme, but Pat Dunn in Glenmire, brother of the late, great and much missed and much loved Ted. Pat Dunn has a birthday today and of course Ted was a great friend of myself and Fergal's uh, going back many, many years and Pat indeed is a friend of us both too. So Pat, happy birthday uh, from all your family and friends and indeed from all of us, all your pals here in 96FM. 0818 96 96 96 the number, the text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96 and your email opinion at 96fm.ie going to move on to new business now but just stay with the the cash thing for a while and we will most likely come back to it because it's an ongoing story Minister for Finance Michael McGrath has said the government is about to regulate on certain levels to ensure that cash stays in our society and I know for young listeners in particular people in their 20s are looking at the radio going why 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 like I don't bother me actual cash I never use cash I wouldn't know what to do with cash that's fine that's 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 a matter for yourself um, and that's fine too but if I want to walk into a shop and buy a donut and a cup of coffee and if I want to pay with cash instead of card I believe legally I should have that choice. That's just me. I'm sure a person who pays with card, like my daughter, for example, does everything with her card or with her phone. But she would quite happily see me with the right to pay in cash if I want to. Do you think you should have the legal right to pay in cash? Minister McGrath is kind of pushing that way, but not quite going that way. If you know what I mean? Michael Healy Ray was on with me earlier on. He would also endorse a law like that. Just just think about it. We'll, we'll come back to their uh, bigger fish to fry here this morning. I want to talk to Dorothy Grimes. Uh, Dorothy, you're talking, or you're speaking on behalf of your brother, Michael. I will talk to Michael in a few minutes' time, but uh, things are not going well for him at the moment. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Um, no, Michael's been going on uh, quite a journey over the past year. He was diagnosed with stage 4 testicular cancer around this time last year. Um, it came on quite suddenly for him. He had been treated for an infection initially and then all of a sudden things escalated and he was straight in with that diagnosis. So over the past year he's been receiving chemotherapy. He is currently having stem cell therapy. And he's just in his third round. He's actually in hospital this morning where he'll be talking from. And uh, things have been tough. They live in Spain. Uh, Himself and his wife, Rose. Rose is from Mayo. And they have three lovely young children, Connor, 10, 
Clean and Deccan twins, uh, they just turned eight and life has been a bit hard for them. Um, it had been kept quite a private story for the past year. Mm. Not many people knew what was going on, but now it's, uh, I think he decides that it's time to talk about it for various reasons. But mainly because financially they are struggling a lot while the healthcare system in Spain is excellent and they've been taking really, really good care of him there. Mm -hmm. He can't work. They are both self-employed. He hasn't been able to work for the last six months. He's unlikely to be able to work for the next year, if not two years. So their financials have kind of gone down quite a lot and... uh, you know, they just need a little bit of support and a little bit of help at this stage. Rose has been doing a mighty job of keeping things going over there, but obviously they don't have family support there nearby. Yeah. So they're quite isolated. Um, they had been thinking, they had been actually starting to plan coming home permanently when the diagnosis hit. So they've just had a very, very hard time and it's it, they need a little bit of extra support sure. <laughs> from people, I think. They, they both so, teach English, I think, and they also run a little B&B in Spain but as you say Michael hasn't been able to work now for for quite some time and being self-employed being self-employed anywhere is difficult but being self-employed in Spain is even more difficult I think is it? It is yes it is Um, they don't get any financial well he doesn't get any financial support for the government for being sick Um, I believe it is extra tough over there to qualify and uh, you have to jump through hoops which he didn't qualify for uh, so they, while Rose is still trying to keep the the tra- the, the school going, they she and then she's looking after the kids in the house. She's also trying to look after the B and B business. Winter time tourism is quite slow, but the, it's just gotten to a point for them that it's gotten very difficult. Um, and say life is just pretty tough for them. Yeah, we have shared the GoFundMe on our socials and we will also contact our friends in the press to see if they can help but stay there for me Dorothy because I can go now to to Michael Um, I I understand Michael that you're in your hospital bed in Madrid I think it is (laughs) how are you this morning fella? I'm not too bad this morning well I woke up this morning with a fever I had a fever last night going to sleep and they gave me some medicines last night antibiotics and took x-rays and all sorts of tests. And I woke up this morning with a temperature of 38 degrees, which which is not very pleasant. You know, you're feeling cold and shivering and, you know, you're weak. And the medicines that they gave me last night make you very dizzy. So even just getting out of bed and going to the toilet this morning was a, mm. a bit of a journey, you know. You're in isolation, are you? Pardon? Are you in isolation? I am, yes. Uh, basically, with the stem cell transplant, what to do is you go in and you get three days of uh, high, high, high dosage chemotherapy. I mean, it's it's what I would get in one day would would have been what I got in a whole week back in uh, back in the spring. Mm-hmm. And you get three days of that high dosage, and then you get a day off, and then you get your own stem cells back in because what the chemo does is it's so high it wipes out your bone marrow. And basically, it you, you've no defences. You're you're more defenceless than a newborn baby. So you have to be in isolation, and you're kept in isolation for three weeks. The only people that you see are the nurses and doctors. Mm-hmm. And uh, until until the stem cells rush around your bone marrow and well, remake your bone marrow because uh, you don't have any. And 
then then your defenses start to come back and then you can you can go home but yeah. you know I can't walk outside my room I could for a few days but then once you know once you get the stem cell transplant then you're stuck in your room and you start losing weight and nausea and all the rest you know. mm. it kind of kind of hits you and then you go home like a lump of jelly your cancer was very advanced when it was diagnosed tell me what happened Right. Well, basically, I got severe pain down in my groin area in my scrotum uh, back in March, April 2022. And I thought maybe I'd been digging in the garden, getting ready for planting some vegetables, you know, and I thought maybe I'd done some damage. So I went to my doctor and he sent me into the hospital. They diagnosed it as an infection and they sent me home with antibiotics. Uh, That kind of cleared it up for a while, you know, and but things were totally right during the, su- the summer of that year. And then towards November, December, I started noticing that the shape is going a little bit pear-shaped. And when I say pear-shaped, I mean literally that shape. And, you know, the next thing, you know, my, my testicle was the size of a, a, a small kiwi. And then uh, I went to the doctor again, and they sent me into accident and emergency again, uh, which is what they do here in Spain. And this time they actually ran blood tests. They did uh, ultrasound. They did a. Uh, they got a neurology doctor and did all sorts of tests on me. And a few days later, they came back and said that uh, it very seriously looks like a, a tumor. So. What we're going to do is before we're not even going to do a biopsy, right? Mm-hmm. Because at this stage it was the size of a pear. We're not even going to do a biopsy. We're just going to get it out. Yeah. So they brought me in a few days later and they took it out and then they referred me to oncology and uh, oncology. Then after the biopsy and uh, a couple of uh, uh, cat scans of my thorax and everything um, came. Brought, they said, uh, would you and your wife please come in for a, a bit of a chat? Because uh, it's serious. Okay. So they told us it was stage four cancer with metastasis. That it had gone into my lymph nodes. Now, my lymph nodes, I had noticed that it was like sitting on a cold bench. Um, you know, the way your kidneys get cold all the time. Yeah. Sitting on a cold bench. And that's what it felt like. And I couldn't sleep at night. It was always cold and Basically, my ganglia and uh, lymph nodes down in my lower back were so swollen. It was like a big mess of pasta, a huge mess. And wow. I also had four or four tumors on my lungs, where it had gone into my bloodstream and basically attached itself to my lungs. And one of the tumors was about, I suppose, it was 27 millimeters across, which is, you Good know, it's a fairly sizable tumor. That's inch. That's an so they said, yeah, yeah, exactly. So straight away they said, right, well, we'll be starting once you're recovered from the the operation. Um, we'll be starting chemotherapy straight away. So I was in for five days a week for the first, for, it was basically four cycles. And you go in for five days, one week, and then one day for a week, and one day for another week, and a week off. And I did four cycles of that. And it was four or five hours each time that I went in. But I, I continued with my classes. 
uh, I was doing classes online. I had some very understanding students, even mm-hmm. when my hair fell out and everything. You know, the little kids, I, I told their parents what to be expecting uh, mm. because I didn't want the kids to be getting scared that, you know, oh, Mike's got no hair. <laughs> but uh, anyway, my tumor markers had been before the operation to remove the tumor, they were at 127,000. Now, the normal. Uh, number for a a healthy male is two. Before I started the chemotherapy, it was at 257,000. So this cancer was, it was was pretty prolific. And it's a non-seminoma cancer, which... It had a good, it had a good grip on you. I mean, the speed... hmm? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, the speed at which my testicle increased in size, uh, you know, was, was... was just amazing, you know. But anyway, the chemotherapy brought down my tumor markers down to about 15. Myself and my wife were planning our, to book the ferry to come home to Ireland to visit our families. And the doctor called me in again, the oncologist, to say, I wouldn't be going anywhere. It's back up to 700. It went from 15 to 700 again. So they referred me to 12th of October Hospital in Madrid, which is a, a well, highly respected hospital in Madrid for this stem cell uh, transplant therapy. Okay. What is what is the prognosis, right. Michael? Have they told you? Well, the last blood test that I had, uh, my tumor markers are back down to zero point nine, which <laughs> is supremely good news. Indeed, it and is. Tumors. The tumors have uh, diminished in size on the last CAT scan. Now, of course. That was before this um, this uh, cycle of therapy. Of course. So I'll, I'll be having more CAT scans and more blood tests now as mm. soon as I get recovered from this. And please God, please God, this will be the end of it. Because hopefully, hopefully, of God, that'd be that'd be that'd be great. Now, I know that you you said there a few seconds ago that you wanted to come home. You decided it was time to come back with Rose yes. and Cleana. And Declan, yeah. and come back and settle, presumably in Cork. Um, well, either Cork or up near near Mayo, where okay. his family are from. We're, we're not but fully decided yet. All of this has home. ripped the guts out of your finances and your savings, hasn't it? It did. It did. I mean, I was going up to Madrid uh, once. Uh, once I was told they were referring me to Madrid, I was up and down to Madrid, say, two or three times a week. Cost fifty euros a time to go on the train return. Um, I was at this stage now kind of uh, fairly tired. Uh, I wasn't able to do very much. The fatigue from the cancer was uh, really preventing me from doing very much. I could maybe go over to the guest house and help my wife. I'd put the bag, towels in a bag and bring the bag over. That's and then case. I'd sit down for an hour, you know, yeah. just the, the fatigue. So I haven't been teaching classes because I just can't. And, so my wife took on some of my classes. We couldn't obviously take all of them, so we lost students. And, you know, she's got, the, while I'm away, she's got three kids, and she can't keep all the rooms in the house uh, prepared at all times. I mean, she's been an absolute rock. I don't know how she does it. I really don't. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we can't keep all the rooms open all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there's less bookings. And, of course, winter came along. And, you know, basically we've been slipping into debt and slipping further and further and further. I mean, we could 
we can use what cash comes in from classes to put food on the table and clothes on for the children. But, you know, when it comes to something like a new pair of glasses uh, for, for my son, you know, that's a struggle. And the mortgage started slipping. And, the, you know, when you get start getting the bank calling you while you're in hospital getting stem cell transplants. You know? Yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> time to make a decision. You want to get back. You want to get yeah. back here. Um, you want to get back on your feet and, you know, just put things on an even keel. Give us a bit of time to, to, to get ourselves back on an even keel. Now, will you be able to complete your treatment in Madrid or do you have to get treatment here when you come back or if you get manage to get back? Well, hopefully, hopefully in, a, say, a month or two months, the, the word remission will come into play, hopefully. Yeah. And then, you know, when when we do go back to Ireland, obviously I'll be having to bring all my files and everything, the whole treatment and everything, and and just have checkups because uh, you, you have to have checkups, say, I think for the first two years you get checkups once a month or something like that to make sure that it doesn't come back. And then after that, it's every three months uh, for until five years. And, you know, it's at least five years of checkups to make sure that... That, you know, it doesn't come back. And then the thing is, PJ, testicular cancer is a taboo subject. You know, people talk about breast cancer. Everyone knows about that and prostate cancer or, oh, God, he smoked majors all his life. So, you know, he's got lung cancer. It's, you know, people talk about that. Yeah. But people don't talk about testicular cancer. And, you know, my advice to all the the men listening out there and even their wives, you know, when they're, kind of, you know, in an intimate situation. If you feel anything different, get it checked out straight yeah. away. You know, that yeah. it could save yourself an awful lot of hassle. That yeah. Any change in size or shape, and they can have it whipped out, and you won't have to go through chemotherapy yeah. before it metastasizes. You that you have a, a little body. dream with all of this. I, I think you have, a, you have a boat, do you? And you eventually want to get I the do. boat I back. I have a boat back in Ireland that I just love to sail. It's oh, the boat is boat here, is it? Okay. Oh, it is, yeah. It is in Ireland, yeah. Well, we see, we live in the middle of Spain. There's not much water here. I see. <laughs> so uh, when we go home in the summer, you know, we bring the kids out sailing, and they just absolutely love it. And it's it's one of the things that's kept me going, mm-hmm. just the idea of getting home again, getting out in the sea, getting that smell of sea air in my nostrils again, you know. And that's that's worth a dozen rounds of chemotherapy if you're on the mend as well. Oh, it is. It is. And another thing, you know, that, that I found is a positive attitude. Yeah. At no point did I ever, you know, when, when they told us it was stage four, now normally somebody would say, might ask the question, well, Jesus, is, is that terminal? Well, I don't think like that. Uh, yeah. I worked on ships for, uh, offshore for 13 years, and when we had a problem, we didn't think, oh, well, we're not going to be able to fix that. It was always a, what do we do to fix this? And if one way doesn't work, we'll do another, or we'll do another, try another way. And my first reaction to the oncologist when she said, it's stage four, it's very serious, it's all over your lungs. Uh, my, uh, right, what do we do? Yeah. You know? And then when my numbers started going up again after my first rounds of chemotherapy, uh, I said, what do we do? And there's been, it's been no surrender. 
absolutely no surrender. You know, Good uh, man. I've I've maintained a positive attitude the whole time, and I think that goes a long way as well. Yeah, uh, you know, but you but I think the, the the simple fact of the matter is the treatment, by the sounds of it, Michael, is fantastic. But but financially, well, it's, financially, it's, you can't sustain life in in Spain anymore. You want to get back. There's no. family support here. There's love here of people like your sister Dorothy and you want to get home to that love to that support and to to, to Ireland you know we've been 23 years in Spain now and to be honest with you I think we've had enough Spain was a great place to live it's gotten more difficult over the years I mean a shopping trolley of food here is the same as a shopping trolley of food at home in Super Value and yet the wages are a third yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's ridiculous over how, here. How are the kids dealing with it? Self-employed, the kids, the kids have been great. I mean, they they, it was a shock for them. They thought, oh, is Daddy going to die? You know, uh, you know, are you going to lose your hair? We we we, basically, we told the kids when when it happened that we'll be perfectly honest with you with everything. Right? I mean, they're only ten, and there were seven at the time, um, but we told them we're not going to hold back on anything. So you know, when they do ask you, Connor or Cleana or Declan, Connor, I suppose, being the oldest, when when he does yeah. look at his daddy and say, Daddy, are you going to die? What do you say to him? Michael? Yeah. I say, no. No, no, I'm not going anywhere, Connor. No. Definitely not. The, there's treatments for this. Testicular cancer is one of the... Uh, it's the best cancer to react to treatment which it is. Uh, I mean, my sister-in-law is an oncology nurse in Crumlin Hospital. Well, two of them actually are oncology nurses. And uh, when we, when, when she was told that Mike has cancer, uh, she said, what type? And Rose told her it was testicular cancer. She goes, oh, thank God for that. Oh, my goodness. You right. know, if you're going to have <laughs> cancer, testicular cancer is probably about the best one you're going to get. Because yeah. uh, it reacts well to treatment. Obviously, in my case, it had you know, metastasized uh, too much and just didn't quite get whacked with the first round of chemo. So I had to, to get the further treatment. But as you know, compared to something like lung cancer or liver cancer, yeah. but you're but in a far better situation. You've really got the cavalry out with this stem, stem cell stuff, and here's hoping. That it all works oh, out for you. You know that the positive attitude is fantastic, Michael. It, it's 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 a joy to hear you so positive. But do you get do you get scared at all? I do, I do. I mean, uh, for example, at the moment I'm coming towards the end of the stem cell treatment. I've done uh, two uh, what they call bridging. Uh, chemotherapy sessions where I was in for a week each time up here in Madrid and then the three three week stints of the stem cell uh, transplants uh, and now that it's at the end of it, you know, uh, okay my tumour marker numbers are down to 0.9 which is good but uh, the CAT scan has shown that the tumours are, are, are getting smaller but you know there, there is that niggling worry in the back of your head that, well, what will the next CAT scan show? Will it show that everything's cushy? Everything's, uh, you know, they've gotten smaller or maybe in two months' time? Will there be something that just didn't quite get caught? And, you know, yeah. yes. That'd, that'd take a night's sleep off, you know, again. Moment. 
It would. And there, there is a dark moment every now and again. But, you know, when I, when I do get those thoughts, PJ, I, 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 I push it aside. Do you think you're a boat? I say no. There is no surrender. I just think of going sailing and catching a few mackerel and putting them on the pan. Your honesty is incredible. Fair play to you, man. And listen, man to man to man, I'm, I'm even thinking to myself, Jesus, I better check in the shower the next time that everything's all right. Yeah, so, you know, I'm serious. I'm have an old route around, you know. <laughs> you don't need a nurse to stick a finger up your backside to check for prostate cancer. This have an old, you have an old rummage. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be, you are, exactly. I think you're, you're, probably, you're probably encouraging every man listening to us here. This morning, Michael. Well, I'm sure there's a whole pile of them. Now we're going to have a shower this evening. And, and, and a rummage, uh, you know. a good old rummage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, you know what, PJ, years ago when I was on a ship, um, we had a nurse come out and give us a talk about this. Yeah. Um, this, this is back in the 90s. And my immediate manager on the ship, he went into the shower that uh, a couple of weeks later and had an old rummage. And you know what? He actually found that he had testicular cancer. Now, I don't know what happened to him in the end. I lost contact with him over the years. But, you know, it, it's that kind of uh, thing that we're, you're not aware of this. You know, you're not, you're not told. Have an old rummage down around there uh, to just make sure that the shape is the, the right shape, the same shape it's been since you were 18 years old. Yeah. You know, um, because, you know... Nobody, nobody tells you these things. Yeah. You don't. They don't teach it to you in sex education. No. no. Well, well, well. Here's here's hoping that this round of treatment and that magical R word is the word you'll hear. The word remission. Yeah. Here's here's hoping that it, that it will. We're going to uh, share. We have already shared your GoFundMe on our socials. Mm-hmm. You just want to get some much, cash. Please. To get you home, to get you settled, to get you set up again, and to maybe settle a few of your debts. Just yep. lastly, your sister said it, and I was going to ask you, it sounds to me like the health care is brilliant. It can be in Spain, yes, it can be. No, I mean, I, I, I think that they saw me as a, a, a man of 51 years old. I've got three young kids, and that this was testicular cancer, it can be treated, and they, they treated me extremely well, extremely quickly, and really, really well. I mean, okay, there, people do have complaints about the Spanish healthcare system, but 
you know, it is it is on the whole generally quite good. You know, uh, it's all free. Uh, you get your medicines uh, at a hugely reduced rate when they're on prescription. You know, it is a good healthcare system, and the hospitals and the doctors. I mean, gosh, up here in twelfth of October, the the staff are absolutely wonderful. I is mean, that the name of the really hospital? Are. The twelfth of October. Yeah, twelfth of October. Don't say the October. That's and it's been a very innovative hospital. You know, they've done a, they, I think they did the first liver transplant in Spain, things like that, you know. And well, you're they're getting, building you're a whole the... new hospital at a far better rate than they're building the children's hospital up in Dublin, <laughs> I can tell you. Michael, I, I, your positivity is engaging. Um, and <laughs> it is, in fairness. We're going to share, we have shared it, and we will... We will share your story and this conversation will go to all of our friends in the press to see if we can't well, thank you very much. Uh, d- drive it a bit further for you because the thoughts of, like you said, getting out, grabbing a few mackerel and throwing them on the grill and your kids learn, learning how to sail from you. Yep. That's the dream. Yep. That's the dream. Yep. Get back home to the green grass of home. All right, fella. Mind yourself and take care out there and let us know how you're getting on. Dorothy, I, I your brother is your brother's a rock. He has been unbelievably positive all year. Um like all of us, we have our meltdowns from time to time. But overall he has tackled this head on and been unreal. And also his wife Rose, who has been I don't know how she's done it. She has been absolutely outstanding all okay. year, uh, keeping everything going. All right. So, well, yes, thanks a million, PJ. Let us see what we can do. Dorothy Grimes, thank you, and Michael Grimes, thank you. In the t- There's a great name for a hospital. The 12th of October Hospital in Madrid. There it is before you. We will podcast it. We will share it. We You can see the GoFundMe on our socials. Uh, we we get 100 calls a month for people who, who want to try and raise funds for something every so often. One of them grabs us, and that story grabbed us. Good luck to you, Michael. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I'm here from 12 with tunes from Dua Lipa, Olivia Rodrigo and Teddy Swims. Your chance to win some brand new AirPods and what's happening in Cork this weekend. More from midday on Cork's 96FM. On cashlessness and the move this morning by the Minister for Finance or this week to suggest that maybe we're going to force some businesses to take cash. We're going to make it your right to pay with cash in certain essential businesses and also make sure there's more ATMs out there. PJ was in Zara in Mahan Point on Monday morning. Staff members were coming up telling all of the shoppers that if they were purchasing anything, they needed to go and withdraw cash because the Wi-Fi wasn't working and they couldn't do cashless payment. She told me they were waiting on their Spanish office to fix the situation. You see, cashless is all very well until it goes down. Uh, Also, this happened in the Aviva, says Frank. Uh, They had to give away free grub and free drink. I do remember that. Was that at a Six Nations match, Frank, or a soccer match where the system went down and it's all cashlessness in all cashless in the Aviva and the system went down and people were buying burgers and chips and pints and, and you know, whatever you have in yourself and the system was and they couldn't take any they had to give people their their food and drink for free. That that I think happened. I think it was during a match. 
Thanks, Frank. 0818-969696. I mentioned this earlier on with Paul from Three Little Pigs. There is a campaign started over on change.org calling for the end of the 13.5% VAT rate on hospitality and for the rates to come back down to a max of 9%. And the organisers say it's hugely important for the survival of small independent businesses within hospitality. Jamie Budd is from Budd's Restaurant in Ballydehob and he joins me from there and Barry O'Mahony is a local activist running as an independent in the local elections. I'll start with you Jamie. You and many more want to bring back this VAT rate down to 9%. The government seem hell-bent on not doing it. Good morning. Hey PJ how are you? Good. 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 Yeah. I'm First of all, I'd just like to point out that um, I'd like to get it below the 9% because I think at this rate, with all the other uh, costs that have uh, been introduced and obviously the, 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 uh, the, the huge amount that they've, been, uh, that they've risen, uh, I think 9% wouldn't actually cut it anymore. I mean, you, you know, the, the way things are, I think, you know, we'd want it to go down to as little as like 4%. Because it's uh, you know the 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 thirteen and a half percent at the moment is just is is uh, is ridiculous, and um, you know along with uh, the ridiculous costs that we that all the hospitality industry is faced with, especially you know the small independent businesses, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's gonna you know it's gonna cause a tsunami effect on on all those businesses, and I mean it's only a matter of time before you know places start falling like dominoes, you know. Well, they're already um, fallen with, with Nash 19 gone, Chong Sing gone, yeah, well, gone. Uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know. It's like as the year progresses, I mean, you know, people, I mean, the, the, most people's accounts are not even uh, ready yet, you know, for 2023. And soon as, as soon as they get those back, I'd say a lot of places will get a shock and they're going to realise that there's, uh, they, they, they can't continue. The minister you know? seems determined, though. Uh, say again? The minister seems determined that the VAT ain't going anywhere. You're going to have a fight on your hands here. Well, this is exactly the reason why I want to fight, because they don't seem to get it that, you know, we're going to lose one of the, the you know, the best sectors or the biggest, uh, the best industries that this country has to offer. Um, you know, the food industry in Ireland and the hospitality sector in general has been been going from strength to strength for the last 20 years as you as you know and as the you know these politicians should be should know themselves and i'm sure they do um so you know what do we want to get to uh, a point in in uh, in ireland where you know all these kind of beautiful you know small independent restaurants and and anyone that's kind of in the in the hospitality industry uh, is are replaced by you know the only people that can be uh, afford to remain open the, you know the likes of your you know your your, your big uh, corporate chains like there your you Ronald go. McDonald's ETC ETC you know yeah, yeah there you go I'll bring in Barry O'Mahony at this point Barry uh, you're standing as an independent in the, the local elections where are you standing Barry morning Hi PJ thanks for having me on um, so I'll be standing in what's known as the West Cork Skibbereen district so that covers kind of a triangle of uh, Dunmanway, Clonakilty and Skibbereen, okay. that general area. And on the ground, what are you hearing from people like Jamie? Oh, uh, people are terrified. I mean, if, if you look at the situation that someone like Jamie or any other small business owner, in particular in the hospitality industry, what, what they're facing at the moment is their insurance costs are still sky high because the government just does not seem willing to tackle that. Uh, energy costs are still high. We, we know that even in our domestic bills. 
some people are about to go off a cliff edge with the debt warehousing from the pandemic. Uh, they come May, that's all going to be coming due. The, uh, the minister is talking about that there will be something in place to make it easier, but he's being so vague about it. <laughs> yeah, he was talking this morning. It. He said that discussions, he was on national radio, he was talking about discussions going on between himself and Revenue about doing something, but he wasn't prepared to put any meat on the bones of that this morning, at least. Yeah, I mean, that, that's no good to a business that's struggling to pay. Like, you've, where, where, where these businesses have gotten really hit hard lately is they've had the minimum wage increase. Now, I don't think any employer begrudges their staff raising the their wages to cover the cost of living, but, like, this has come in. There's increased PRSI charges on employers, and the auto-enrolment pension scheme is coming in later this year as well. That's that's three blows back-to-back. In yeah. a 12 the government would say business. to you, though, Barry, we're just modernising things so that every worker is entitled to the same sickness benefits, well, entitled to a pension, entitled to all these things. Uh, absolutely. Look, and that's totally understandable. And look, I'm self-employed myself, so, I mean, I, I, I'm dying to get some of those benefits myself. But the, the reality is you can't do that in such rapid-fire succession to a business because, it's, look, I, I'm involved in martial arts myself. And what I was saying to someone the other day is this is like going into the ring and not got, just getting one big thump to the head that you can recover from. This is getting three blows one after another, you know? Um, Good analogy. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't get back up after that, you know? That's, and that's what's happening to these businesses. And, like, say, in Cork City Centre, if a business closes down, there's a good chance someone else will pop back up in that premises within 12 months. Mm. Somewhere like Baldy Hall, where Jamie is based, or Clonakilty, where I am, sometimes a business goes to the wall and nobody moves back into that building for two, three, four years. And, and again, like I, I said, we, I was speaking to Jamie earlier on in the week. Yeah. I remember a time where Baldy Hall, yeah, it had its few pubs that the locals went to. But other than that, it was a place that you might have stopped to get petrol on your way to Skull. Whereas people like Jamie now, and there's a few other restaurants and stuff that have popped up there in the village, they're, they're, it's become a tourist hotspot now. People actually go to Valde Hob as a destination. And yeah. like this year, uh, in, just in the past year, Fault Ireland have launched this West Cork and Kenmare Destination and Experience Development Plan, which is a, an amazing and hugely ambitious project to create a, a genuine tourism product for this region, you know, it, like, that it's marketed to the world as a place to come to. But to be honest, there's got to be nothing to come to if these businesses close down. I mean, our scenery is great, but... You can't no, eat trees. No one's drive, no one's go, exactly. No one's going to drive out to the Barra Peninsula if there's nowhere along the way that they can have somewhere to have something to eat. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I'll come back to, 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 to you, Jamie, just to, to wrap there. So it does look as if you'll have a, a large number of signatures for this because I've yet to speak to someone in hospitality that didn't agree with you but the, gov- the yeah. government seems determined to say nah lads that's it we're not changing we're not for we're not for changing what will happen well, if they don't change Jamie well if they don't change they're going to end up with a lot of uh, uh, businesses uh, folding there's uh, they, they, you know there's they're going to end up with the, the, the image that Ireland has uh, has been betraying now for the last few years as a great destination for uh, for food and drink 
is uh, is gonna is gonna be caught out, and like you know, people won't be able to produce the kind of food that certainly I like to produce, and many others like using local produce and uh, showcasing the best that Ireland has to offer. I mean, to prepare and to and to buy in those uh, those uh, those ingredients and to cook those uh, ingredients, you know, it, it it it's it's extremely costly, and so you know, like. Do, do the government want to see fast food restaurants in every corner? Now, no offence to fast food, the fast food industry, but let's face it, when a tourist comes to Ireland, and of course uh, ourselves and all the locals, they all want to kind of eat good food and they want to socialise um, in, in, a, in a local uh, restaurant or cafe, you know, throughout the day, in the evenings. It's a, it's a huge yeah. social uh, you know, kind of aspect to it as well, you know. So if the government don't change the policy and if they don't offer us a bit of help, then you're going to just see, like I said earlier on, you're going to see a tidal wave of closures, okay. an absolute tidal wave. And these businesses will not be coming back. And then what do the government do then? They turn around and say, oh, you know, we've, uh, we've, made, a bit of a, we've made a bit of an error there. Uh, I mean, I and this is the whole purpose of me wanting to fight this tooth and nail because I don't want to see that happen for any of any of the hospitality businesses in Ireland. And I feel like the only way in me personally is, are going to be able to change that is if we all stand up as one singular voice and challenge this all the way. Okay. Now, you know, if that means going on the streets and protesting, then so be it. I'm okay. totally willing to do that. But I feel like we just need the, vo the uh, one you know, uh, collective voice uh, from all the people that this is affecting. And let's be honest, it's not just affecting the actual business owners uh, themselves, it's affecting all the public because they're going to lose these, these, these uh, really, really important places that people sure. come to socialise. I mean, the effect it has on someone's mental health is huge. Yeah. I mean, you know? Well, I there's, mean, a, there's, there's a lot in there, there's a lot to unpack and it, I think we'll be talking a lot more about this throughout the course of 2024 and certainly coming up to election time. Jamie, thank you. Jamie Budd from Budd's Restaurant in Bella de Hub and Barry O'Mahony is standing as a independent in the local elections. It's the Save Our Restaurants and Cafes campaign. You'll find it on change.org if it's what you're into. Go and find it. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. Callahan brings you the best music mix on Oldies and Irish. Every Sunday from midday on Cork's 96FM. Welcome along to the programme. Great to have your company on a Sunday. As I say, it's a privilege. Hopefully you can join me. Turn it up and take it easy with a big show on your radio. It's the perfect Sunday soundtrack. In Irish with Dario Callahan. Every Sunday from midday to 2 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. Giving away a 2,000 euro shopping spree this week with the Furniture Centre at Watercourse Road, Blackpool. You can choose from sofas, bedroom, kitchen, dining, mattresses. Free delivery, free assembly, and free removal of your old stuff. That's given away Friday. Our 2,000 euro will all go to one winner. On Friday, we're picking qualifiers though as we go through each and every day, and we're playing sounds from the sofa. So, they are you badly need a new sofa, there's holes in it, the cat lives inside in it, it's battered and it's collapsing under you. So, you could do with a new one, couldn't you? You're sitting on your battered little sofa, and you can hear this sound.
Pray tell, what is that sound? What is that sound that you can hear on your battered little sofa? Tell me what it is and tell me your name. 083 396 Yeah, plenty more stuff on cash only. Um, people are starting to rethink it a little bit. Alex, for example, was saying that up to recently she just paid cash, or sorry, paid card for everything. In fact, just used her phone. Now she's starting to think about it a little bit. Uh, yeah, just lots of people want the choice. I, I'm delighted to see it because I think the last time we talked about this, people were looking at me as if I had three heads and say, PJ, move on, join the 21st century. We all pay with our phones, we all pay with our watches, we all pay with whatever we're having ourselves. We're, we're at the point now where they'll soon be fitting a chip into our thumb and we'll pay with our thumb. And that's grand. If that's your beef, that's your thing. Go right ahead. But if I want to have cash in my wallet, I want it to be able to have it taken wherever I'm going doing a bit of shopping. That's where we're at now. People are starting to think about that a little bit more. If you want to help Michael Grimes, had a good chat with Michael and with his sister Dorothy earlier in the hour, and we will podcast it. Michael is from Cork. His wife Rose is from County Mayo. They have three children. Michael spoke to me from his hospital bed in Madrid, in a hospital with the wonderful name of October the 12th. And he's been treated there for cancer, stage four testicular cancer and secondary tumours, etc., etc. He is hoping, and it looks good for him, that the treatment is working. And with a bit of luck, he will hear the magic word remission very, very soon. But they're trying to move home. They're broke because, and they're in debt because of Michael's health problems over the last couple of years. They're trying to get back to Ireland and they have a GoFundMe set up to see can people, kind, generous people help with getting them back to Ireland to get them set up and have the love of family and the support of family around them at this difficult time of their lives. We, we've shared all of that. And also I think Michael Michael's interview with me is a lesson to all of us men to check out the undercarriage. Check out the landing gear. The next time that you're in the shower... You're washing it anyway, or at least you should be. Check and see, is it the way it was the last time you looked or the last time you checked? And if it's not, get thyself to a doctor. 0818 96 96 96. Listen to Cork's 96 FM on your smart speaker. Say, simply say, play Cork's 96 FM. Quark's 96 FM. The minds are mine. Oh, hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Quark's 96 FM. Always takes me back to my news reading days when we're in the middle of a big tennis event like the Aussie Open or the US Open or Wimbledon or the French Open <laughs> because the names, you really would long for someone like Murphy or O'Sullivan to be 
playing tennis at the at the highest level and we'll be watching the English players because they're easier to pronounce than the Americans because they're easier to pronounce. I always remember a guy, he was a six foot five inch Yugoslavian. Was it Yugoslavian? He was. Slovakian, one of those anyway, one from that part of the world anyway. And his name was Slobodan Zivovjinovic. He was a, he never won anything of note, but he always went through the various rounds of the competition. So we all got good at pronouncing his name, Slobodan Zivovjinovic. He went by a nickname, Bobo. So we all just called him Bobo. I wish they had more nicknames. Thanks, Katie. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text to WhatsApp. 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Your thoughts on cash and card. Still welcome. Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. Looking at ways to keep cash in circulation. You'll hear... On podcast later, Michael Healy Ray from Kerry wanting it to go even further. Oh, and by the way, saying thank you, Michael. That was our idea. Thank you, Minister. That was our idea to keep cash in circulation. Your thoughts on cash and whether we should have a right, an absolute right to pay with cash if we want to. Your thoughts on that at 0818 96 96 96. I'm amused at the story from the Oscars. Delighted absolutely delighted for Killian and well-deserved nomination and some people saying he's already got the Oscar in the bag I wouldn't quite go that far but it'll be a big surprise to me uh, if he doesn't win uh, the Best Actor Oscar for Oppenheimer but that's just because I think Oppenheimer is both a marvellous movie but he is just stunning in it absolutely stunning but this <laughs> Vox Pop there but what what we'd take to the Oscars, if he could pack it full of Cork people, what would we take? Because did, did you know that? They don't get dinner at the Oscars. They, they get champagne. They don't even get a sausage roll at the Oscars. So what would you bring? For the sheer fun of it. <laughs> the man in the news said tripe and drink. Can you imagine the stink of tripe and drachine? At the Oscars, or or some crubines. Imagine the smell. But I digress. We often talk to people on the program about their strange collections. I think the weirdest one of all was Lillian, who rang me one morning to say that she collects holy statues. And she has loads of them all over the house. And she told me about bringing one home one time on the bus from town. Very funny. I, I have mugs myself, coffee mugs, going back years. There's boxes of them in the attic. If I wanted to display them all, I'd need to extend the house. I just pick them up here, there and everywhere as you go. Lots of people have comics. Collections of comics. Ordinary comics kids comics that we've kept into adulthood and you will be very interested to hear about a woman called Ray McKinley Ray is Scottish but lives in West Cork down in Ballydehob uh, Ray you grew up in Glasgow uh, comics were very far from your mind uh, or at least from your parents minds growing up because they had completely different plans for you. Good morning Good morning to you. 
Yes, I say I come from Glasgow because many people here would, would not have heard of the little town I came from. But it was a typical little Scottish town, upward mobile. Yeah. And my parents uh, wanted me to be something like a solicitor or an accountant. Mm-hmm. They had grand plans for me. But for me, if you get to know me, you would know I am definitely not cut out to be an accountant or a solicitor or anything like that. And, of course, with the pressure of having to achieve, that actually made me feel uh, that they didn't know me at all, which created problems when I was in my teenage years. I was a daydreaming child. My head was always up in the clouds, uh, making uh, patterns from the, those clouds. I, I was so totally not an accountant. Mm. You had a creative head. Yes, yeah, very much so. And it's kind of uh, ironic when I think about it that I grew up in a place where there were comics. I can cite the Beano, the Dandy, Ur Willie, the Bruins, and comics was not considered a suitable or appropriate career choice for 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 me at all. Yeah, I was going to come to that because comics and drawing of comics and collection of comics is what you do. When I was a youngster, I got every Friday four to six comics and I loved them. And you say something that I'm delighted to hear you say. Comics are not just for children. How did you get into them? How did I get into comics? Well, I would have to say here that actually it was comics that finally touched me on the shoulder. I know that's hard to believe. I drew comics when I was a child and I read comics. Mm. I read them far beyond the time that it was considered appropriate to read them. It was fine to read them when you were four, five, six and seven, but... I got into my teenage years and beyond and started reading comics, uh, carried on reading comics. Well, you and me are like kin here because I can remember reading Whizzer and Chips at 16 and 17. And I love, and the Beano and the Dandy. The Beano's a Scottish comic. It is. That's what was kind of ironic. It was kind of comics are not appropriate. And yet, every week, people. Many people uh, bought the Beano or the Dandy. And even more to the point, there was Ur Willie and the Bruins in the Sunday Post. <laughs> you sound to me like the original Beryl the Peril, Teenage Rebel. <laughs> yes, I was actually the Beryl the Peril. I've mellowed out since I'm now 65, but I would have been Beryl the Peril. Yeah, yeah. I always kind of had my own lens of looking at the world. Yeah. Yeah, I have a great friend who years ago uh, had the opportunity to visit the Beano headquarters in Scotland and meet the editor. Oh, yeah. uh, oh that was wonderful. And we're talking about a man like in his early 60s. Uh, and he was like, yeah. a, like a small child. Yeah. So talk to me about the Comics Cultural Collective. This is your, your new thing. Well, it's just bursting, actually. It's bursting with an online meetup. 
it's the comics, as you say, comics, cultural and impact. I forgot to include the word impact in it, collective. And basically what it is, is that a group of comic artists want to bring comics out of the cold and into mainstream uh, as a recognised art form. Because comics have got a kind of a reputation of being childish. And at one time, a man called Frederick Resson brought out a, a book on seduction of the innocence. And he actually espoused that if people, young people particularly, read comics, they would become a juvenile delinquent. Yeah. So basically this collective wants to kind of highlight that there's wonderful stories out there, wonderful graphic novels. I suppose the term graphic novel is coming into play because yeah, rather than it, sounds comic. A bit more, it yeah. sounds a bit more kind of adult than comic. Our cinema screens have had all the Marvel heroes and Superman and yeah. Batman and, and Flash Gordon. They all started as comic books and people forget that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Marvel and DC are, are quite involved now. But there's a lot of other comics out there, are comic artists who are creating great comics just now. Yeah. And when I go online to our meetups, I'm part of a an organisation called LD Comics, and I get to meet online, of course, because it's quite it's global. Wonderful artists and writers bringing out these beautiful stories of their lives, of what's happening in their own communities and societies, the struggles, mm. and I mean, it's a joy to listen and, and hear those stories, and it's a real delight to read the books. I get a sense that you will have a huge response to this collective of yours. And here's why Ireland, and some people don't get it yet, Ireland is a powerhouse in the animation industry. Uh, yes. Several Oscars have come here. Sure, what, yes. what, what were comics, only early animation? Yeah. yeah. No, that, that is so true. I mean, Ireland's got not only just a legacy in animation, it's got a legacy in stories and storytelling. Yes. Beautiful stories full of wisdom. Because it's never whether a story is true or not. It's the wisdom and they've always got wisdom in the stories to be found. And we've got that legacy here. So I'm hoping <laughs> very much so that Comics will be recognised for what it is. It's just another means of telling a story. Yeah, yeah. I'm delighted you're doing this. There must no. There, there are probably there are probably people out there, Ray, that yeah. have collections. Well, that is so true. There will be a comics lying about, and with regard to the Beano, there's only twenty first editions. And they're worth a lot of money. Aren't they? So, yeah, check them out. Because they've been actually the longest running uh, comic, according to the Guinness Book of Records. I was surprised to find that out, but because I'm uh, teaching in, in schools, 
I've done a bit of research on the, on the Beano and Dandy because that's quite popular with five and six-year-olds. It's popular with 56-year-olds, let alone the five no, and six-year-olds. <laughs> let's see, actually, right, let's see if we can find people this morning on the show who have Beano's and Dandies and maybe Whizzer and Chipses and Toppers. Let's see if we can find people who collect comics and then they can go and check you out on the Comic Cultural Collective. How about that? That would be good. That would be grand. Lovely talking to you. Can I just say thank you very much for allowing me this opportunity to highlight the treasure in comics. Thank you. You're more than welcome. I I know that treasure myself. I got so many years of joy out of it. And I I may tell you, if you gave me a dandy now, I'd be making tea and sitting down to read it. Oh, thank you. Take care then. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, Ray. (laughs) Comics. Isn't it great to find someone who's even older than me that remembers collecting comics and still collects comics to this day? Any comic collectors listening? And on a Friday, I used to get, mm, what did I get? I got Wizard and Chips. I got the Beano. I got the Dandy. I got Buster. And I got a thing called Car. And there's one other, I can't think of what it was. I used to get four or five copies four or five comics every Friday and I loved them and my mother brought them home to me and I kept them for years I don't know where they went uh, and then she mentioned a Scottish comic I couldn't believe it when she said it Oor Woolly Our Willy Oor Woolly I had probably if I went digging deep enough into the dark recesses of the attic I probably said an annual an Oor Woolly annual that Santa brought to my Nana's house in 1900 and frozen to death. Lovely memories there talking talking to Ray. The Comic Cultural Collective. 0818969696. On what Killian Murphy might bring to the Oscars. Now, Jason, that's a great idea. Jason suggests that Killian brings a bottle of Tanora with him. Uh, to use in the interviews after he wins. I'd go one better than that. be a great laugh. One better than that is that Killian should have the bottle of Tanora open in front of him on the table. And when, not if, when he's going up to accept his little stature, he brings the bottle of Tanora with him. Can you just imagine how pure cork that would be? Oscar in one hand, bottle of Tanora in the other, there's our boy, our Oppenheimer. It, it, it's February, isn't it? Or when is it? I've forgotten again when it's on. March 18th, I think, the Oscars. Be great, but he got nominated anyway for Best Actor for, for Oppenheimer. There's a fabulous idea, Jason, that Killian Murphy brings a bottle of Tanora to the Oscars, and when he's going up to collect his little statue, he brings the bottle of Tanora with him. How cool would that be? On cash and cashlessness, Brian says, Morning, Peter. We had a drink at the marina in Puerto Banus in Marbella uh, over the new year. Well, for some. <laughs> I went up to pay, and they only accept cash. And it was no problem, as I always carry cash. Cash is and always will be king, says Brian. 0818 Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The on Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mixed 
check out the Cork Weekend Survey, have a go at the Wayne Teaser question, there's the latest celebrity gossip, a look at what's happening around town, and we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. Today, all of the papers today, Ian Bailey cremated uh, yesterday in a very quiet and private ceremony with nobody there bar the crematorium staff and whatever funeral home was involved and his ashes reputedly going back to the UK his next of kin who knew he had a sister Um, his sister is arranging all of that just an interesting story that had mentioned it in passing because tomorrow on the show I'll be talking to a man who invented a way of scanning long-lost DNA. Long-lost, long-buried DNA. Uh, and has a particular interest in uh, the, the Bailey case and indeed has offered his his services to uh, the cold case unit investigating the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. That's, that's tomorrow. The uh, papers are full of them and your radio ads uh, have been there for it and they're on television in both Irish and English, these ads about claiming back your tax. The tax that it says thousands of PAYE taxpayers are missing out on. That they don't know their full entitlements. They haven't claimed stuff that they might be entitled to get back in terms of credits or indeed sometimes even get money sent straight back to your account. Revenue estimates that there was 180 million unclaimed in 2022 Alone, and we're being inundated with these, with these ads. Pardon me for being a small bit cynical or sceptical here. I've never once thought that the taxman ever wanted to give me anything, and they seem very anxious to get us all signing on, logging in, and giving them loads of information to see do they owe us money. I wonder, is it, yeah, sure, they probably owe us money. They probably owe lots of us a lot of money. But maybe they're also trying to find out whether we owe them money. It would always worry me a little bit. That's for another day, your thoughts on it. But the government is being asked now to consider a new tax credit. And this tax credit would be there for us if we did volunteer work. It's the... Former Lord Mayor and Independent Councillor here in the city, Mick Flynn, or Mick Finn, rather. This is his idea. Um, and the Cork City Council voted recently to support a motion to ask the Minister for Finance to look at the idea that there'd be a tax credit available to those of us who did volunteer work. So, Mick, what you're saying is volunteer work would allow you to get some tax back. Is that it? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, look, that's the idea. And I suppose that the motion put through council is the kind of start of a conversation on something like this. Uh, volunteering in Cork City and County, you know, from my experience as with Cork Education and Training Board, especially with uh, volunteer youth clubs and my involvement with GA clubs, is that volunteering has waned since COVID. People have opted not to get back involved or, you know, call a halt to their giving their, their, up their spare time. And I suppose this is the start of a conversation where anybody that volunteers for 
charities for scouts or guides or sport or drama groups or whatever you know, um, would be maybe rewarded by the state for their work uh, with, a, with a tax break or a tax credit. Do we know why so many people have stepped back? Um, I think, you know, the culture of COVID at the time was to stay at home and to kind of, you know, not to mix with people. And I think, you know, a lot of our volunteering people, you know, across a wide range of activities are, are maybe older people. And I think they, you know, they usually tend to do what the state asks them to do, whether it's, you know, refuse collections or whether it's TV licenses or property tax. They tend to take that on board. And I think it's just a kind of a residue of that time when people were asked to stay at home and not mix. Mm. And then people got comfortable maybe without, you know, having to go out two or three nights a week or give up their time at the weekend. And I think it's just a bit dormant at the moment. Uh, and I suppose that's what the kind of reasoning behind this motion is to try and flicker a bit of new life into the volunteer sector. And who would be eligible? Would it be the person who works a couple of mornings down at the Meals and Wheels, get the meals out to the elderly people? Or would it be the guy who goes down on a Saturday morning and trains the under sevens down in Douglas GA? Who, who would be yeah. eligible? I think it's all those people, PJ. Anybody that gives up their time and volunteers their time for something that, you know, that, I mean, obviously they don't get paid for. And you can't pay people for that that effort and that work that they do right across the country. I mean, you'd be paying, paying billions for that. Mm. Uh, you know, like the, the work that goes on by volunteers, you know, you know, there's people that help Katrina Toomey and Penny Dinners. There's your, your soccer and your football club Saturday mornings. There's your you know, tidy towns, groups that go on weekends and do such savage work and, and you know, were rewarded, I suppose, with, with an award by uh, the tidy towns groups there earlier in the year. But, you know, it's anybody that volunteers their time. They're not doing it for, for money, monetary gain or payment. Sure. But I think the state should be saying, yes, look, we recognise your work. Everybody loves a pat on the back and, and a well done. Oh, so and I think this would be a kind of a symbol that the state recognises that and says, look, thank you for your work you're doing here. There's some small extra bit, yeah. a bit of added value for the work that you do. You're not getting a wage for this, but when your boss in your day job pays you, you'll do a little bit better on the tax. Sounds like a fantastic idea, Mick, but a nightmare to manage because nobody likes paperwork for the revenue. Yeah, well, I suppose, on the other hand, PJ, the revenue and, and other groups and the state can actually get payments fairly quickly when they need them. You know, you go back to the COVID payments and the tax that was taken from COVID, extra COVID payments. You know, you look at the property tax. The state isn't isn't slow to get a, a mechanism going to to take payments from people. So I'm sure that a system here can be organised by government through revenue or whatever, you know, to, to, to uh, apply this tax credit. And yes, you'll have people maybe jumping on the bandwagon and claiming it even though they don't do, you know, a huge amount of voluntary work. And that will always happen Mm. in the same way it happened when people could claim it for maybe working from home, whereas maybe some people didn't. But I think, you know, the people that do the voluntary work, uh, you know, are giving up their time. They're doing it for for the right reasons. And as I said, this, you know, however difficult it is to to get off the ground or to get structured, I think should be looked at because if, if that stops, and I think, you know, if we don't stir it up and get those people that were volunteering back or recruit new and young volunteers, a lot of our clubs and organisations that keep our, our, our communities going could be gone in 10 years' time. You're very involved, I know, Mick, with Darkness Into Light, which will be coming up again, hopefully, in May. Yeah. You struggled to put a team of volunteers together for that last year. Yeah, and even, um, you know, just yesterday we had our very first meeting for this year's event, which is on the 11th of May. 
And, you know, from a, from a committee even of 12 or 13 that we had, you know, a number of years ago, uh, we had four people at our committee meeting uh, to get this year's event off the ground. But more, more I suppose, more uh, worryingly on the event last year, uh, from a volunteer base of about 70 or 80 that we need you know, to, to steward the route, to steward the campus at UCC, uh, we were down to about 35 and actually were short. So, you know, that that's one example. I know from uh, involvement in GA and I know involvement in youth clubs, you know, they are struggling to get people involved. And, you know, I suppose some people will, will worry that, oh, look, I'll put my name up and it could be caught to be volunteering five nights a week and it could be, you know, you're asked to do an hour and it could be ten hours. Mm. But I think whatever people can give, whether it's an hour a week or whether it's five hours a week, you know, no volunteering effort is too small. And I think that's the message that needs to get out. And it might be some bits from your own expertise. You could be good at IT. You could be a good, strong adult. You know, you don't have to have expertise in any of the particular areas. You just need to be able to give up an hour, uh, you know, give up tours or whatever you're you're happy to do. And I think we just need to get that message out that, that those volunteers are needed. You might say, Mick, don't we volunteer out of the goodness of our hearts or do we do it for a tax break? No, but I mean, I think people will still volunteer out of the goodness of their hearts. I mean, that's the basis of volunteering. You know it, I know it, you know, your listeners will know that. My point here is that you still do that and there are people doing that with or without a, a tax break. And my point is, why not add a tax break and just say, it'll be the state saying, thanks for what you do, well done. Let's see what people think of it, Mick. Thank you very much. Thanks, PJ. Cheers, Mick. There's an idea. You put in a few days, a few Saturday mornings down at Penny Dinners or you give a hand with the St. Vincent de Paul or whatever you do. Should you be able to claim that back through your tax bill at the end of the year? Uh, kind of a daily tax allowance or something for, for doing volunteer work. I know a lot of places, a lot of workplaces now have this thing in their annual leave where you're entitled to a day off to work for a charity. You have two or three days off in the year that you're entitled to a day off with pay to work for a particular charity. That's that's happening in some workplaces now. 0818 96 96 96. Among the volunteers out there, there are people doing great work for Cancer Connect. Cancer Connect is a transport service, wonderful service. And it, unless you knew it's out there, you'd never know it was out there. It's a wonderful service where people get driven to hospitals for their cancer treatment and then picked up and driven home. And uh, Joan Collin and her partner, partner Martin O'Toole have been volunteering for Cancer Connect for the last while. And uh, they find it very, very, very rewarding. Joan is with me now. Joan, how did you get involved in the first place? Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Well, initially I saw it on Facebook and it just resonated with me. I just thought it was the simplest idea and the best idea. Many years ago, um, my own mother um, needed radium treatment and I suppose I'd gone through that and realised like, it, like it's, it's quite a commitment for a family member looking after somebody and they have to get time off work. I was fortunate enough I didn't have to do that. And uh, yeah, that's really what got us going. Just thought it was a great idea. So how does it work? You, you get booked to take someone, say, to CUH? So the office is down in Bantry and initially the patients themselves will contact Bantry and then Bantry will contact us 
and then we will contact the patient. You know, it's all it's all phone calls, and we make ourselves known, mm-hmm. and we're given the time and the date, and we literally turn up kind of ten minutes before we're supposed to be with the person. Take them up to uh, either CUH or the bonds or wherever they need to go. Wait for them and bring them home. What's your range then? Where would you be going? So we live in East Cork. We're we're down in Shanagarry. So uh, we kind of cover Yall, Killa, Castlemart, and Ballycotton. You know that that general area kind of going up into the city. We run our own cars. Then there's a bus actually down in Yall. And that is really for people needing radium treatment because they're they're going five days a week and there are different people who volunteer to drive the bus. CUH allocate a specific time to Cancer Connect so the patients know that they're not going to be kind of given different times every day. It's the one time and, you know, that makes life a little bit easier for them. Is it rewarding work, John? Well, I suppose it is. I mean, it's lovely to feel that you could just lessen the burden for somebody you know it must be uh, thank god i've never had to do it myself it must be a horrendous time in their lives you know very challenging hmm. you know there's a load of help actually out there for uh, patients going through uh, cancer treatment and ours is like it's actually very simple just takes that little bit of a burden away from them hmm. and very glad to do it. Look, we're we're retired and we have plenty of time in our hands and just delighted to be able to help, really. Would people talk to you when they're in the back seat or the passenger seat about what, what they're going through, what they're dealing with? They might be afraid. Would they talk to you? Um, yeah, I suppose they do. We would not lead that conversation, I suppose. Sure, we would allow them that freedom. We would talk about anything. And if they want to talk, sure, we're well able to listen. And um, the other day, I, I took somebody up to CUH and she came out. She was <laughs> she walked in, I think she ran out. She had been given the news that she doesn't have to go up there again for eight months. That's great. Honestly, and to, to be able to kind of rejoice with her and that, it was great. Honestly, yeah. it really was. Yeah, yeah. There's over 400 drivers at the moment, but you're always looking for more. Well, we'd love more drivers because simply that it isn't that there's, doesn't that there's more people getting cancer? Well, I'm, well, I don't know. I can't say that. Yeah. But there are definitely more people availing of the service. And the word is getting out there now. It, it was very popular and is, is very popular down West Cork. So really East Cork is kind of newish. And uh, North Cork, they're struggling for drivers up there. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um and as I say, more people are beginning to know that the service is there. How is it funded? So, yeah, the funding. So, first of all, we have an amazing manager in the in Helen O'Driscoll. Helen is based down in Bantry and she seems to spend, I'd say, half her time looking for money. Um, God help her. Uh, and, and the funding is coming in because people are so generous. I suppose if anybody wanted to organise a fundraiser, it's it's Helen that they would contact, and CancerConnect.ie is, is the web is yeah. the website. If I wanted to get involved, or anybody wanted to get involved as a driver, they don't need any special qualifications, special insurance, no. No, that's a great thing. The insurance companies recognise that it's charity work, I suppose, and so there's no extra payment required. Um, and um, so that, that's a big thing. And the only thing you need, look, is is a half decent car, I suppose, fully insured and taxed and able to drive nicely and steadily. How often might you be called upon then? 
it's only kind of once a month. So, and that's important as well so that people realise that and actually what's very important is that if they ring you on a day and you you can't do it there's no problem because there's always someone prepared to take up the slack we've done it a couple of times when it kind of really wasn't our turn but they you know someone had to say no and yeah we can say yes and that's the way it goes info at cancerconnect.ie the, the website is cancerconnect.ie and there's a phone number available as well, 021-203-8525. I think it's marvellous work, Joan, yourself yeah. and Martin. I really do think it's great work. Well, thank you. And, you know, honestly, we're, we're just delighted to be able to do it, really. Delighted. You meet lovely people and, yeah, so it's all win-win, really. We get to go to car kind of once a month, which we would be doing anyway, so it, there's no effort involved, you know. And, and we wait above and go for our lunch or something, whatever, you know, depending on the time. And the only thing, the only one thing that you would be committing to is that you are picking somebody up on time and you're going to collect them on time afterwards because sometimes they're a bit tired and, you know, all they want to do is go home. So that's just the, the little commitments, yeah. John, you have a lovely day. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, PJ. Lovely talking with you. And and with you, John. Thank you very much. Cancer Connect info at cancerconnect.ie if by chance you'd like to get involved in, in that and I, it's just the way she, she plays it down how big a thing it is it's it's huge, it's huge you wouldn't mind giving her a few quid back in tax would you? 0818 96 96 96 Simon Murdoch and the best music mix weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM I'm here from 12 with tunes from Dua Lipa Olivia Rodrigo and Teddy Swims your chance to win some brand new AirPods and what's happening in Cork this weekend more from midday on Cork's 96 FM join the conversation email opinion at 96fm.ie this is the opinion line with PJ Coogan Cork's 96 FM would you believe Sir Henry's is open again? What? It is. It is. More in just a sec. Well, we're with our friends at the Furniture Centre all this week. €2,000 voucher. Uh, somebody will win that on Friday. We have qualifiers every day. They have, you name it, they have it at the Furniture Centre in Blackpool. Sofas, beds, kitchen, dining, mattresses, the works. Free delivery. Free assembly and free removal of your old stuff. Every day we have a sound that you might hear when you're sitting on your battered little sofa that could well do with replacing. Tell us what the sound is and we'll put you forward into the draw on Friday. So you're sitting on the sofa trying to watch something on Netflix and this is going on. What is it? Identify that sound and tell me your name. 083-396-9696. Now, Sir Henry's is open in Perth, in Australia. It opened on the 19th of January, only a few days ago. The gaffer there is Ian Jeffrey. Ian, Sir Henry's in Perth. Tell me the story. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, the story came, came up about uh, over a year ago now. We decided that we would make a an Irish stout. I was with my uncle, and uh, we were sitting 
at a McDonald's. Um, I can't even remember what McDonald's it was. And we were trying to come up with a clever name for this Irish stout that we were going to make out here in Australia. Right. With a bit of nostalgia. And uh, we just came up with Sir Henry's, thinking everyone knows Sir Henry's. It's a very uh, iconic brand that from Cork. And um, that came about last year. St. Patrick's Day, we launched the stout. Okay. Did a very good, so you're in the, uh, you're in the brewing months. game, are you? Uh, not really. It was more of a, a bit, bit more of a hobby, and we are now, I guess. And uh, we won gold within three months for our Irish Stout in at the Perth Beer Awards. Nice one. Um, started getting a lot more traction with it, and then it turned out that the only way to make money in the beer game is actually have your own venue. So that happened last Friday for us, which has been very exciting. Um, obviously, we wanted to call the place Sir Henry's and bring back a bit of that nostalgia from what Henry's had and we're a five day a week music venue that's uh, in its first week and it's going good so far we were sold out on Friday and Saturday uh, Sunday wasn't so bad it was gives us a break and uh, we're back open again now tonight with live music and it's it's, it's, it's a very exciting I guess <laughs> the only thing that seems a bit off here to me is you're a Galway man how the heck did you come to hear about Sir Henry's um, so I grew up pretty much, uh, born in Galway, but grew up in Cork. All my family are Cork, uh, okay. all my uncles, cousins, everyone. So, um, and uh, I was a DJ myself. I used to DJ in Cubans for afters for oh, Ted Dunn back in the day. You, so, you DJed um, for I, Ted? <laughs> yeah, I you didn't DJ. didn't? <laughs> we probably well, know each DJing. other. Probably, yeah. I, I know Anthony, Anthony Fleming fairly well now and all the DJs through the years. But I've been out in Australia since 2000 and, uh, 2009. I was just going to ask you that. I was just going to say, you played, you played Cubans. I played Henry's. That'll tell you now, I think, going back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for yeah, goodness. I missed out in Henry's. I, I, <laughs> yeah, and I used to DJ in uh, the Savoy with Stevie G. I used to do the, the, the foyer when he was doing jam. <laughs> Fabulous. So, um, Fabulous. So, so is yeah, it, so and have you, would there be a big Irish audience there now where you are in Perth? Yeah, it, uh, there is again. Um, it, it was kind of died off during COVID and things, but there's a lot of Irish back out here again. Um, like Sir, Sir Henry's, not that we're really exactly a full-on themed Irish bar that you would see abroad normally. Um, there is two other Irish bars in Northbridge, that part of Perth. Um, one's called the Shabine, on on Shabine, and then Johnny Fox's. Um, and there's probably the two busiest bars in Northbridge, and now at our Sir Henry's. Not quite as big, but it's um, it's definitely getting that kind of traction and um, interest already, which is fantastic. I noticed a picture on perthnow.com.au, the news website. I noticed a picture of your logo. It's not a million miles removed from the original either. No, and it was quite hard because I got that from an old photograph. <laughs> I got a graphic designer to try and... Uh, uh, bring it, bring it back to life, and he, he did a fantastic job. So that was obviously the one that was inside the building, um, above the stage, and yeah. then in the actual venue we have here, we have photographs of Nirvana, uh, Kurt Cobain, and um, the, the original logo behind the original photographs as well up on the wall. And fantastic! Lots of people didn't even realize that ever happened, um, and then all the history in it. There's so probably great photographs um, around. You know, they, there was an exhibition in uh, UCC a few years ago where they gathered a lot of memorabilia from the original Sir Henry's. It'd be great to get some of it out yeah. to you. Absolutely, yeah. And I have been trying to touch base. With, I think there's a, an Instagram page or a Facebook page that's linked to that um, expedition um, exhibit. And um, I wanted to try and touch base with them to get a bit more off it. Um, I didn't get copies even or whatever it may be to, to get it up on the 
football, a bit more memorabilia. Um, there was a guy actually reached out to me, and he's got one of the original Sir, um, Henry's flags that was in the nightclub. So we right. must um, touch base on him again now and tell him that we're open. And uh, you know, <laughs> is there any chance of us getting it? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you have to. I, um, please tell me you got a copy of the ball and chain to play. Um, oh yes, 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 we do indeed. Um, we haven't actually done any um, house or dance nights yet. That will be this weekend, which we're very excited about. Last weekend we had a couple of bands on, um, but when we're trying, there's a couple of Cork, uh, sorry, Irish DJs, even Cork DJs have come into me already who play a lot of house and they're keen to do a few sets. So we're definitely going to give them a shot as well to get back in there. And you have to call it sweat. You have to call it sweat. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. The uh, that's definitely the case. Um, because I had been in touch with Stevie G as well. That before all this went down, after the success of the uh, the Irish Stout, Stevie was going to come out in March, and uh, where we're going to do a reunion night anyway. So now this has kind of come to light um, a lot faster than we had planned. So that's still on the cards as well. That Stevie's keen to come out for a week and do a couple of nights and promote it and bring a bit back, you know. So <laughs> oh, a bit man. of fun, I reckon. It's uh, this, 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 yeah. this is absolutely fantastic because I read the, I read the article, uh, as I said on the the Perth the Perth website, and I thought, you know what, this this could actually be like, is there a big Irish community in Perth, or would there be a lot of Cork people more more than more than that? Um, yes, there is, and I'll tell you, I le- met a lovely couple on, was it Saturday, and uh, they were just walking through Northbridge on their na- day out, and they came in, and they couldn't believe it. They were like, they were star sh- star-shocked or framed, and um, I said, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Come on in. And they said, would you believe that we had our first kiss in Sir Henry's in 1995, and we were just walking down the street, and we seen this, and they couldn't believe it. So I, I took a photograph of them, it's actually on the Facebook page. A lovely couple, like, and they just they said this is going to be our spot to come in every week to come for a drink. <laughs> ah, listen, you got a big, big, huge, heavy bass sound system. Put on the yes. <laughs> <laughs> that brings it. That brings it back, doesn't it? That brings it back. That brings it back. <laughs> How good! Oh, stuff. There you go. And the place yeah, hopping and, and sweat dri- sweat dripping yeah. off the ceiling and, and you're sticking to the floor and God knows what else went on. I'm absolutely... I'd nearly get on a plane. <laughs> come for a visit. Yeah, come to the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. So, Ian, you're open and... You're open and the, the, the stout. God, you'll have to get... You'll have to really ramp that up now and get it back to us here. Yeah, well, the stout's doing very well, and we're actually selling nearly the same amount as uh, the Sir Henry's Irish stout as we are the Guinness. It's a, a little less bitter than Guinness, uh, and it falls in between. I'm not sure how popular Kilkenny is in um, in Cork or Ireland, the, the Irish ale they make. The red one, yeah. As well. It's popular enough pop- day, yeah. It's very popular. Yeah, it's very popular out here. So our Irish stout sits in between the Kilkenny kind of ale, lighter, bodied, kind of very similar to a Murphy's, actually. It's probably the best way. I mean, okay. A couple of lads have said So it's slightly today, sweeter it's than Guinness, then, yeah. Slightly sweeter, yeah, definitely slightly sweeter than Guinness. Um, and it's, it's been doing very well. So, yeah, it'd be great to try and get it canned and uh, produced in, in Ireland as well. Because if we, if we made it in Cork, um, I have been talking to a couple of brewers over there to see could they make it for us. It'd probably actually taste better because the ingredients are much better in Ireland. So I've learned. So it'd be very interesting to see how well it could do, um, especially in Cork as well, when we have um, Beamish and Murphy's and all the range that it does for such a small city compared to Perth. Um, you know, having so much on range on, on, on tap is amazing, really. Uh, now the more I've got into it. <laughs> you, you answered one of my last questions. I, I was going to say, had anybody walked in there uh, yet and said, Henry's boy, Henry's? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, to be honest, I reckon I reckon since I've been in there um, over the over the weekend, there must have been at least ten people from Cork that recognised it straight away and hadn't seen it being advertised um, and couldn't believe it. Like when they went past it, which was great. <laughs> so that that reaction alone, and like there's no confusion of why some like you know people kind of go, why would you call it Sir Henry's been Irish teamed or like Irish owned, or whatever? I said, well, you know, if you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, Ian, great, yeah. great talking to you, and best of luck with Sir Henry's Perth uh, in in Australia and the and the Stout as well. We'll watch out for that. Thanks. That's Ian Jeffrey, who also runs the Raunchy Brewing Company, uh, who brew Sir Henry's Stout. Romanthony, make this love right, was the real name of, of Ball and Chain. Does anybody really need to know that or anybody care? But it was, just in case anybody asks. Uh, oh, wait, one Frank says PJ will be going out with his daughter clubbing in Perth. Do you know what? Frank, stop. Behave yourself. Okay, what's that sound? Where's that sound gone for me? Lisa is in Inner Shannon. Lisa Lorden, what is it? Hey, it's um, when you put your hand in the crisp packet and all the rustling noise. Yeah, it's a big, deep bag of crisps as well. It would really annoy you in trying to watch Netflix in peace, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right, listen, you're through to the draw. Today's qualifier with the Furniture Centre on Watercross Road, Blackpool, through to Friday's draw for €2,000 to spend at the Furniture Centre on Watercourse Road. Rain and Ross in the morning, back tomorrow at Cork's 96FM. They need another bit of help with what's your problem. Uh, they're giving away flights from Cork Airport to it's at Gdansk, I think, and a chance to win on the two grand minutes. That's it, though, from us for today. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All of your podcasts up a little bit later. And we're back tomorrow, just after nine. Hi there, Troy Tuberty here. Be part of my new adventure this Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM. I'd have something for everyone with a mixture of conversation, laughter and great music. Talk to you this Sunday from 10 a.m. The Ryan Tuberty Show on Sunday in association with High and I. For every kind of driver, there's a High and I. Find yours at highandi.ie. Cork's 96 FM.